Those that need care are either at home being cared by a family member or they're in a facility somewhere and they're not out in the public. And there is a whole lot more talk about these diseases than there ever has been before, but still, we're not seen. Hi, I'm Bobby. I was a caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger, for seven years. And understanding what it's like to be a caregiver over a long period of time, I decided I wanted to help caregivers any way that I could. And I've become a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving educator. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I also helped take care of my father for seven years. And since that time, I've become a certified caregiver advocate. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we're going to focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights and share some emotional support, and maybe even share a few laughs along the way, because we all know that laughing is, in fact, the best medicine. Don't forget the wine, Mike. No, ma'am, we cannot forget the wine. Mike, most people think that dementia only affects older family members, but that is a stereotype that's just plain wrong. Yes, and over 200,000 Americans under the age of 65 currently have dementia, which to me is absolutely staggering. And early onset is also increasing at at a rapid rate, and that's people under the age of 65 who are developing Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. So that brings us to today's guest. She lives in Montgomery, Alabama, and is currently helping to care for her grandchildren. And she sadly lost her husband at a young age due to a rare form of dementia. In the caregiving world, she has come to be known as Mama Bear, and in fact, she even has a tattoo that depicts that. So welcome to our show, Mary Salter. Hi, Mary. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. We are thrilled to have you here because it's so important for our listeners to understand that dementia isn't only for the elderly. And we talked a little bit about early onset, but in your family, it's even earlier. It's an extremely rare form of dementia. Um, so we're very interested in talking to you today and, and learning more about that. Well, yes. Um, and, and my family in particular, actually, with my husband's side of the family, um, they have a very rare mutation. Uh, it's called the Preslin 1. And in this family, the onset begins in the mid, uh, mid to uh, late 30s. So my husband passed the day after his 43rd birthday. Uh, he was born to a family of five. The first uh, was a girl. She was spared, but unfortunately, all four boys in the family uh, died consecutively. So in a matter of nine years, we buried all four boys. Um, Alzheimer's has taken six family members to date from the ages of 37 to 44. And when you have this mutation, you pass on a 50-50 chance to your children of inheriting the mutation. And unfortunately, uh, as luck would have it or not have it, two of my three children did inherit the uh, Preslin 1 mutation, and they are now both symptomatic. Uh, at the ages of 38 and 39. And when did you find out that they had inherited this gene? Well, uh, the children are a part of what's called the DIANE program, and it stands for Dominantly Inherited Alzheimer's Network. And and what people need to remember, um, this rare form does affect less than 1% of the population, whereas sporadic Alzheimer's, as most people are aware of, is uh, the older uh, dementia Alzheimer's-related disease. 
so when my children, uh, we found out that there was a genetic link to this, I contacted uh, Washington University, who was just in the essence of starting the Diane program. And my children began in the program back in 2008. And as part of uh, the um, practice that um, Washington U provided, if you wanted to get a genetic uh, test done to find out if, in fact, you were a genetic a gene carrier, they provided that test. So uh, the first year the children were in uh, the program, they decided not to do it. And then, unfortunately, one year after that, each child, each one of the three uh, got the test. Uh, the first was my son, Brian, and um, didn't go well. Uh, within a matter of uh, six weeks, he got two DUIs. So obviously, he was not prepared for what was told to him. The next year, my daughter uh, found out her genetic status, and then her brother, uh, the oldest of my three, found out his status. So, like I said, of the two, up to three children, two of them have it. And, and because my they handled the the information that they had it, or they in different ways. All different. I mean. Ways. Oh, um, my daughter, uh, because she has three children, now passes on a 50-50 chance to my grandchildren of having it. So her way of dealing with this was becoming an advocate for the Alzheimer's Association. Um, she and I both were advocates for uh, for them. We do speeches and um, uh, TV shows. We've done newspaper articles. And my granddaughter is attending Washington University in St. Louis, and she is going into neuroscience. So this definitely um, finding out the past that this family has has definitely altered what uh, we as a family thought our life was going to be like and what we as a family are now doing. At what point in your marriage did you realize that this was going to become a lifelong long issue for you and your children and grandchildren? You know, I don't know that I truly understood um, because back when Bob had it, we're talking about 27 years ago, um, Alzheimer's was still very unfamiliar. Uh, like in his mother's case, back in the 50s, when she had Alzheimer's but was not diagnosed, they were embarrassed. They thought she had some mental defect. And so because of that, the family has her medical records sealed. And nobody really knew as, as spouses, we did not know why the mother had died. We just knew that she had died when, you know, the youngest was three years of age and the oldest was 16. And all that my husband knew was at the, at the age of four, which is when his mother passed away, he only remembered there being a bad odor from the room that his mother was in. I mean, that, it just wasn't discussed. It was, it had that, that connotation that, um, you know, your, your mental defect and we're not going to talk about it. So the first brother came along and in his thirties began to show very similar, some very similar symptoms to what the mother had shown. And so the first wife, uh, had the medical records opened and began to see the similarities. So still we didn't know that there was this genetic connection. Then two years later, the next brother shows up having the same symptoms and then my husband and then his younger brother and so uh, I contacted this university before Bob passed away because they were a large university 
And I really didn't know where to turn or what to do, but because of their um, notoriety, I figured if anybody could give me some answers, maybe it was Duke. Well, Duke did a brain biopsy on Bobby, and um, all that they could tell me was that he had the worst case of tangles that they had ever seen. Now, oh, what, is, what, is, what is the worst case of tangles? That, that didn't mean anything to me. I just knew that he had passed, and I knew you know, that all the brothers had passed, so whether it was the worst case they'd seen or the least that they had seen, it, it didn't really bear in mind to me what that meant. Yes, because so, you lost your husband no matter what. Right. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, back then, what, what are tangles? No, nobody knew what tangles were. They, they, they knew uh, because they were specific in that, but to tell me that didn't really mean a whole lot to me other than, okay, tangles. And now how I describe tangles to people when they ask, what are tangles? I think of it as when you're taking down your lights from your Christmas tree or putting them away or pulling them out to put them on the tree. There's just this big wad of mess and you right. try to untangle them. And that's how I kind of refer to tangles. That's how I think of it in my mind. And well, that's a great word picture to help people understand what you might be talking about. You know, I, I certainly empathize with you about the having the record sealed and it was never talked about because I was uh, in my 40s, 45 46, when I learned that my dad had been diagnosed with dementia and schizophrenia oh. back in the 40s or the 50s. Well, the schizophrenia back then. The dementia yeah. came later. Right, right, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the, the schizophrenia. And this was never, ever talked about. So when Bobby found that in his medical records and she said, why didn't you tell me this? I was stunned because I had never known because it was never talked about. It was always pushed back in the corner somewhere. So I certainly empathize with you there, the, of the not knowing. And as wives and, and women at um, childbearing age, if we had been afforded that information, which is, what the, which is what they recommend now, if you are a possible mutation carrier, you need to either find out your genetic status and don't have children, or you make that collective um, decision that you are now passing on this chance to your children so we as wives of the four brothers didn't have that opportunity we didn't have that that information to give us um right so yeah there's there's a lot to you know destigmatizing this disease so that people are more um apt to talk about it more open to talk about it and i and i think we've come a long way you know um I, my my daughter in her one of her speeches she talks about as being a young uh, female and, and a teenager she was embarrassed of her father she didn't really and, and all the all the children were because they really didn't know you know they didn't know what um, this truly was they just knew that he was forgetting things and so they you know that's a big um, part of her life right now is is to advocate and to lessen the stigma. And to even though she's only 38 years old and she doesn't really want to focus on the fact that she's so young with this disease because it has the same um, effect on whether you're 38 or whether you're 68. Uh, the, pro the process is the same, but she really wants to be able to destigmatize the disease and, and show people that even though you've been given this life sentence, this death sentence, that you can still do something with your life before before it's, you know, taken. 
Oh, she's definitely doing good work out there. Mary, I'd like to take you back a little bit because you you definitely know that there's a gene that your uh, family has inherited. But a lot of times I hear uh, caregivers ask or, or mention, you know, Aunt Mary had it and I had a cousin that had it. So am I going to get it? Can you explain the difference between that and what your family is dealing with? Okay, so, so what... Uh, the Aunt Mary and the, you know, whether are classified in what's called a sporadic um, Alzheimer's. And that's, that's the roll of the dice that the whole populace has. So 99.9% of, of the population um, has a chance of getting Alzheimer's. That's just the way it's going. And obviously, we're finding out that more and more people are getting it, yet we don't know what's causing it. In my family, my children's side of the family, their father, it is when you have the gene, your chance of, of developing it into the Alzheimer's, full-blown Alzheimer's, is 99.9% for sure. So there's no, there's no, am I going to get it? Uh, you got it. I mean, once you're, you know, you, you have the gene from, from birth, from inception. And so um, just because an aunt or an uncle or even your mother has a gene, it does, it, in most cases, it does not um, increase your chances of getting it, although I think it heightens your awareness of the gene. And I, I'm in a lot of Alzheimer's groups, uh, support groups, and that's probably one of, one of the biggest concerns that I see of caregivers is their fear of now that they've seen how horrific this disease is, is it going to happen to me? I can definitely relate to that. Um, there are moments when I question myself, if I can't remember how I got to a certain location the first time I went there and I need to go back, or if I forget a word in the middle of a sentence, or forget one of my kids' names, you know, you know, having lived in this world since 2002, I do think about that, and I hope, and I'm trying to educate my children and people in their in their age group on how to prepare to care for for me and for people in my age group. But definitely, your situation, and I commend your daughter for what she's doing absolutely. now. Absolutely, she's getting so much good information out there, and and absolutely making the best use of her time that she possibly can. I know you have to be very proud of her. Well, I'm proud of both of the children. Uh, Brian's not as vocal as Carrie. It's just not his forte. And I say Carrie's vocal, but yet she, that is conquering one of her biggest, her biggest fears was speaking in front of people. But once she did it and she saw what a difference she was making or the difference she could make and, you know, trying to set a path for her three children who are now 18, 17, and 13 um, and helping them see that Yes, this is going to be bad. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to succumb to this, but I'm going to leave something behind for you that you can always remember me by. You can always be proud of me. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's very important. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go back to, um, Bobby, where you talked about, uh, the fear when you forget something or when you're traveling. I, like I said, I see that so often. And I sometimes I say I joke because I do have to find, some humor in life. I've, I've had people ask me, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with knowing this is what's going to happen to your children? And I say, the only way I can describe it is my life became a flat line. 
you know, I, I, life changed for me that day. Um, especially, you know, when you find out to have it. And so I, I like I said, I'm in these groups that I'm in, I see so many people, uh, allowing the disease to affect their life physically. Financially, we have no control over that emotionally. And, and so when you talk about Alzheimer's, it's not just the person suffering with it. It's the caregiver. They, they, they take this journey 110% with that patient. So, you know, it's, it, it's very scary and, you know, there's no way to lessen it. You just have to, what I say, you just have to strap on, uh, on your seatbelt and get ready for the ride because it's going to be probably one of the most horrific things you ever do in your life. Mary, I want to I want to go back for a second. You mentioned that two of your children have the gene and one does not. Um, I've heard recently, and I can be I've become familiar with a term called survivor guilt. Oh, he has it. Does he does? Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit for the listeners? Yes. Um, Brad, my oldest son, and I and I and my speech to the Senate, I you know I said Brad lived his life as if he were dying. He was convinced that he was going to get this gene. He was the oldest of the children, probably the most aware of what was going on. Uh, probably he had more time with his dad than the other ones did. So I'm not going to say the bond was greater. I just think it was deeper. And yes. so he ran from it. He ran and he made some real bad choices in his life. He you know, said, I am going to live my life as if I was dying. And he reverted to drugs, um, you know, to do whatever he could do to block all this out. So each child uh, received their um, diagnosis in different states. Brian uh, had his son in St. Louis. Carrie, because she lived in Alabama, had her son in Birmingham. And Brad, because he came to visit me when I was living in Tennessee, um, they did his test in Tennessee. So we went to the University of Tennessee to get the results. And we're both sitting there very nervous, you know, wondering. We already knew that the brother and sister, his younger brother and sister already had it. So we were, what, what's going to come about from this? So when they come and they tell us that he tested negative, we both just kind of sat there. I, I, neither one knew what to say. And we just kind of looked at each other and we walked out of the building without saying anything to, to each other. And I was thinking to myself, I don't know how to respond. I don't, I want to be right. happy for him because he doesn't have it. But if I show joy, then am I, then am I just, am I not being respectful of the other two? And what a looked, terrible feeling that must have been. Yeah. Oh my God. And he looked at me and the tears were streaming down his eyes. And he said, mama, I just, I wish so bad that I could take this away from Brian and Carrie. He said, Brian has such a love of people and a zest for life. He has something that I don't have and never will. He loves people and people love him. And then Carrie, she's the mother of three children. And now they are going to lose her. And he said, I just, if I could take it from them and take it myself, I would. And, you know, you just, you just don't wow. know what, you don't know what to say. You don't. And, and, and I think his younger sister, his sister, I think Carrie resents it to some degree 
that Brad didn't get it because, like I said, he lived his life like he was dying. He was the black sheep of the family. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, how come we've all done what we're supposed to do and you haven't? And, you know, um, my mother said uh, to me right before she passed away at the age of 62, not knowing she was going to. And I remember she was very sick when she visited me. And I said, Mama, I don't know how you felt when you had the flu, but I felt like I was going to die. And she said, oh, Mary Louise, you don't have to worry about that because only the good die young. So I guess, you know, I look at it and, and try to say, well, he was the, bag, the black sheep, so he's not going to be the one that dies young. I don't know. I mean, you, you know, there's days that I. Well, maybe can, he's here to carry on their legacy. Yes. That, God, you know, God your family. <laughs> your your family your family needed a healthy person um and who knows he may be the biggest person to go out there later on and and help others through situations like that it might not be exactly this disease but he's here for a reason and maybe you know he's here for you a mom losing all of her children i i can't imagine Believe me, I tell him that a lot when he when he still does things that I don't approve of or says something. I'm going like, listen, you're it, buddy. You're stuck with me. You know, you're you're all I have left. So I need you to straighten up and fly right. You know, I, <laughs> I, 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 I depend on you. And, you know, it's hard. I mean, he he doesn't like to talk about it. And, and I will say, did you notice, you know, Brian forgot to do this or do you notice this or do you notice that? And he really doesn't like to talk about it he doesn't want to he doesn't want to recognize it he doesn't want to admit that it's happening to his brother and sister it's just kind of like bury your head Denial. in the sand yeah bury your head in the sand if, if you if you put it down there far enough maybe you know maybe when i pull it back out it won't be what i as bad as i think it is so it, it, it's difficult mary at the beginning you mentioned clinical trials now, I would imagine with such a small percentage of the population having this particular gene that it would be difficult to get volunteers for a clinical trial. Um, Actually, uh, the Diane program has been rather successful in their uh, being able to obtain and, and contact and get enough people to um, join into the research. Now, the uh, Diane started out with what's called the Diane Observational. And that is where uh, participants, and, and this is where having the brain biopsy came into play for my children. When I did find Diane, and they were in their infancy, they were in their, the, just the beginning conception, and actually the children were, and we as a family were waiting for the ink to dry on the paper to get involved in this because there's legalese involved where, um, you know, if, if, you determine, if you determine you want to find out your genetic status, that that cannot be revealed through uh, the Diane program. Nothing they learn about you scientifically through the lumbar punctures, through the PET scans, the MRIs, all the rigorous tests that the participants go through cannot be revealed to anyone for any reason. I, I'm going through this right now. Um, we're applying for disability for my daughter. And when we're at the disability office, the guy says, well, you know, we're a federal office. We can get information you know, that a lot of people can't. And I said, well, good luck with that. I said, because I already <laughs> I already went through this with my son, who has been on disability longer than Carrie. And I said, they're not going to give you any information. I don't care who you are, federal, state, that is just a policy that this 
um, program has agreed to follow because there are families out there who have the genetic mutations who are not willing to step forward and talk about it for a lot of reasons, insurance policies, employment. Absolutely. And in fact, separate from your particular case, um, researchers into just the normal types of dementia are having trouble getting people to volunteer for these clinical trials. And they're actually asking for people younger and younger to step up because the earlier that they can diagnose it, the better opportunity they have to develop some kind of treatment for it. So that was why I was asking you, because you have such a small percentage of the population. Well, the, the amount of pe- the amount of people needed for these studies are probably much smaller than the sporadic Alzheimer's. Like with the um, trial that Brian and Carrie uh, just finished yesterday, Brian received his 56th dose. He has been on it for four years. Carrie actually went into the, the DIAN-TU, which stands for the trials unit. Uh, she went into it six years ago. So um, they actually were able to get enough participants because I think because it does hit so early and it is, you know, unfortunately people in today's society, and maybe maybe we're able to change that. Look at Alzheimer's. as grandma sitting in a rocking chair with her quilt laying over her lap. And she's just forgetting Susie's name. But that's just a typical, you know, what happens as you age. We begin, you know, they kind of throw granny off the cliff because they think this is what granny is going to be doing. So we we don't have the sentiment that we do um, when you actually are a family seeing this. And so. um, And one of the things that I talk to people about is the fact that um, there's a whole hidden community uh, right now of caregivers and the people that, that need care because those that need care are either at home being cared by a family member or they're in a facility somewhere and they're not out in the public. And that means that their caregivers aren't out in the public as oh, well. Sure. And there, there is a whole lot of more talk about these diseases than there ever has been before, but still we're not seen. And... The fact that dementia and Alzheimer's is considered an old person's disease and old people die, it doesn't get people alarmed as it would if it was affecting people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, for the most part, not like in in, in your case. And that's exactly what I, I said to the Alzheimer's Association when I first became an ambassador. And I said, not that my, I do have some pretty children. I don't know where they, they got to look for my mother. So it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> they, they, they have, yeah, they have the Portuguese of my mother. So they have the, the darker skin, the dark hair. So yeah, they're definitely the, the descendants of the Portuguese that my mother is full blooded. So um, I said to the Alzheimer's Association, I said, you know, I look at your, at, at your advertisement and I look at your, your brochures and everything. And I said, everything is still about elder onset. And I said, I have these children, these ages, and we know for sure that they are going to have Alzheimer's and they are a prime source for you or can be to change the mindset of the populace. Put these faces out there and show, you know, this early uh, destruction of these human beings who've really have have just begun to live, and then maybe you're going to get you know a little bit more sympathy and a little more head sticking up out of the sand and looking at it and taking notice. But unfortunately, 
they didn't take notice of what I said. They do financially help with the Diane program. They have, you know, so I've got to give them kudos for that. I, um, but yes, I, no wonder you're called Mama Bear. Oh, <laughs> unfortunately, yes. I, uh, I had a little, I had it out with them, I have to say, and I'm not, not to say anything negative about the Alzheimer's Association. They have their purpose in life and they have their goals, but they did not align with what I felt um, they should be doing. But anyway, um, I still appreciate what they do. I still, you know, honor their walk. Um, my daughter still speaks at all their engagements. She's still very much in tune to everything Alzheimer's Association. That's where she and I separate. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a purpose and a mean for everything out there. And we, you're right. We do need more people to talk about it. We do need more people to be willing to um, kind of bear their soul, um, bear their heart, and hope for uh, more advocacy for caregivers. Mary, um, it, can you share any tips with our listeners about applying for disability and some of the trials and tribulations you're going to hit? Well, in my in my case, you know, I'm probably not a good example because I got it first time <laughs> for Brian, and that's kind of um, uh, unheard of. Uh, but I, you know, I, what I'm going to say is, I'm going to let me back up a little bit. Brian's been on disability for about five years, and he actually began to have some problems that may not have been Alzheimer's related that I thought they were. Uh, I think probably it was from finding out that he had the gene, and I think it was some choices he was making that began to cause him to have some difficulties with memory and um, behavioral choices and stuff like that. So uh, the mama bear in me, I guess, is probably what everybody needs to take on when they're dealing with uh, the government and getting disability for your loved ones. Um, I think you could have called me that. Yeah, well, I think I referred to you as the dragon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you don't take no for an answer. Uh, you know, documentation, um, uh, that was something my mother taught me at a very young age, document, document, document. And that's what they want to see. They want to see documents. Um, and, you know, if it's a daily journal of things that um, you see your loved ones having. But I think probably today it's because it, it is being talked about more and there are documentaries being done, which one's coming out that my daughter actually did a 14-day uh, Camino through Italy this past summer to bring awareness to Parkinson and Alzheimer's. And it's uh, 10 Mountains, 10 Years. And so I hope, you know, that will be sign of a, a, a gateway for people to get some information and be able to recognize and, and, and deal with the disease. And I'm going off, off, okay. I, I guess that, um, going off the rails. I, I, I'm dead off the rails. <laughs> this, this train doesn't stay on the track. Sometimes I promise you, uh, my phone ringer even goes, choo, choo. So it's, it's, it's just part of who I am. I guess um, disability is it's about documenting. It's about being open with the doctors. It's about doctors uh, being willing to document. And it's being, you know, not being afraid to admit and accept and deal with what comes along with uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. It's just um, every, every case is different, just like everyone that travels this journey has a different um, experience. I get a little frustrated with people who want to talk about stages of, of the disease. And I, I say, please don't get wrapped around stages because stages really aren't going to change the journey that your loved one's on. 
And and they fluctuate from one day to the next. And, and I said, all you can be sure of is that every day will be different. There'll be new challenges for each day. And that's what you hang on to. And that's what you know is ahead of you. Don't get wrapped around the stages. Mary, I want to thank you for being here with us today. I am so glad that you and I have connected and you were able to share this very important story with our listeners. And know that you and your family are going to be in our thoughts and our prayers going forward. Um, Again, thank you so much for everything that you do. And I am a proud fan of Mama Bear. And me too. Thank you guys so much. And I'm sorry that you had to travel this journey. I appreciate you reaching out to me. I hope that I was able to help in some way with caregivers and family going through this horrific journey. Mike, Roger had a long history of medical issues, didn't he? That's pretty much an understatement. I mean, when we got the medical records um, and found out about the schizophrenia, and then um, fast forward 35, 40 years later, there was the heart issues where he had to have the valve replaced, and then the diagnosis of dysphagia and um, the dementia and the Parkinson's and Oh, my Lord. COPD. COPD. Congestive heart failure. Yeah, the list goes on. Stubborn old Italian disease. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know what you mean. I'm determined. I'm not stubborn. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, that was pretty crazy. Um, I think what was really important about talking with Mary today uh, for our, our listeners is what's really, really important here is documenting things. Um, and if so, keep a journal and don't be afraid uh, to, to not take no as an absolute. And I think uh, another uh, thing is ask questions about your family's medical history and really press the issue. Um, I think that's really, really important. I'm astounded that they had to go through all that to get the or, or that they had the record sealed and they had to go through that to find out about the genetic status. Wow. And I'd say a really important takeaway is either be a mama bear or a dragon lady. There you go. (laughs) I love dragons. (laughs) (laughs) You can find out more information about dominantly inherited Alzheimer's on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please, subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review. Reviews are very important to us. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know how we can help, or if you have a question you'd like for us to address. Heck, we'd even like it if you just said hi. To find out more about us, or where Bobby will be speaking next, head over to rogerthat.show. That's roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.